Welcome. We're glad y'all are here this morning. Man, I'm uh, excited about the time we're going to spend together in the Word. It uh, sounds like I'm a little bit high. Maybe turn my volume down a little bit. I don't, I'm going to be shouting later, so I want to make sure I don't blow your eardrums out. Probably won't, but I might. Who knows? Um, I want to, first of all, welcome our visitors. Uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. If this is your first time or maybe you're, uh, uh, this is among the, uh, some early visits and you're looking for a church home, I want to let you know that, uh, uh, first of all, we're glad you're here. Second of all, uh, I want to say this, and I, I, I hope you hear this. If this is your only visit or if this is um, a visit that, you know, maybe you're like, oh, well, the Lord leads you somewhere else, I want you to know that we're cheering for you to find a church home. Th- that's what we're about. Of course, we love the thought of folks joining us here at Crosspoint, but what, what is most important to us, we have not figured out how to do church. We're not the best church in town. We're a different church in town. That's, that's the way we handle our, our view of other churches is we're all different, and we bring something different to the kingdom in the way that we do church. And I think uh, you can, there's a lot of room for different beliefs in the same faith. So we celebrate other churches in our community. And if, if your visit here is one uh, where you're like, hey, that's kind of cool, but I'm not sure that's where we want to be in the long term. Hear from us a plea to find a place and land, a place where you can know and be known, a place where you can walk with the people, where you can enjoy Christ out loud. Uh, that's our burden. Uh, if the Lord should lead you to, to visit with us again or uh, to continue on with us and you'd like some more information about who we are, that's easy. We'll get that to you. Um, in fact, at the end of the morning when we dismiss, there'll be someone at this little table over here at this welcome table, and they can... Uh, and you some information that we sort of gathered up to try and capture who we are. It's a pale version of what it's really like being part of a people and getting to know a people, but it can at least capture for you uh, what we're about, I think, in, in paper, in paper form. I think there's also a gift certificate in there for Chick-fil-A or something like that. So uh, you may not, you won't be able to cash that in today, but you could do that later this week. And the idea is that you sit down over a meal and you actually look at the contents. So I encourage you to do that if, if you're visiting today. Uh, for the rest of you who are here and who are here with us and just regular family, we're, we're glad to be back, uh, back to go this morning. We're, we're going to continue our morning uh, with prayer and then a sermon. Um, uh, the prayer time this morning, we, we each week pray for a local church traditionally. Uh, we have incorporated also praying for a people group. We're going to pray for uh, Tajikistan this morning as a, a country, but specifically for the Yaz Gulum people. Uh, people group, they, uh, Tajikistan, this, this will give you an idea of why they could really use some prayer. Look at their neighbors. I mean, really, just take a minute. we got Afghanistan, pa- Pakistan, China, um, Uzbekistan, Ka- Kazakhstan is up there on the far left. Uh, these, th- this is a largely unreached country. Uh, less than 2% of Christians in the, in, the, in the country, probably less than that, to be honest. Uh, so we want to pray for our, our people that are going there, people that are working there. Uh, we actually have some folks not part of us, but that are sort of connected to us uh, through family that are here being sort of refitted and refilled and refreshed to go back to the work there in, Taz- in uh, Tajikistan. So we want to pray for the work. We want to pray for the people that are about the work. And we want to pray for the hearts of those who don't know him in Tajikistan. Uh, we're going to pray for Highland Terrace Baptist Church this morning. Uh, man, their, their building was just, uh, you know, not destroyed, but heavily damaged this last week. We want to pray for them as a church. And we're also in the month we're praying for city government, our local government. And we have a lot to be thankful for with a local government that has killed it this week. I mean, killed it with a crazy, crazy curveball of this storm that hit us on Wednesday. Getting power back on, getting streets opened up, still with plenty of work to do. That's fitting that we pray for them this morning. So let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Lord, uh, first of all, this morning, we want to pray for our city government, local government, Lord. Eh? We are blessed to live where we live. We are thankful for those who serve our community uh, by serving uh, in local government in some uh, fashion, Lord. I, we're thankful for those city workers that have really been uh, putting in unbelievable hours trying to get simple things uh, going in like power. Uh, for those who are on the receiving end of that and those who are needing power, Lord, we uh, just pray that, uh, that you will continue that work um, and that those who are uh, benefiting from these services will be grateful to you first and foremost, but that we'll express our gratitude to these hard workers. <clears throat> we pray that you would sustain them, that you give them endurance. We pray that you'd even bless them in the work where they would see that the fruit of their work is, uh, is really paying off for real simple things like uh, air conditioning and, and refrigeration, Lord. Just uh, we're grateful. Uh, Lord, too, we want to pray for another uh, church in our community. Uh, in light of this storm and, and the damage that was done to Holland Terrace, we want to pray for that people. And, Lord, we celebrate and are thankful that the church is not a building, <laughs> that there's no, no damage that's been done to Highland Terrace Baptist Church. Their building is damaged. And we're thankful that they um, really at this point have an opportunity to celebrate that you protected life and limb and that you have uh, that. The, uh, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and you can provide the means that they need to uh, restore and uh, repair their, their building. Lord, I pray that this would be something that they would actually celebrate, that you were sovereign and providential over a storm on Wednesday, and that a people could rally around working together uh, to get the building repaired and get back to the work of being the people of God in Greenville. Lord, too, we want to pray for a people group. I want to pray for a country, uh, Tajikistan, and praying specifically for the Yazgulum people. Lord, we are uh, burdened for the people um, that don't know you there, Lord, which are many. Lord, people that are living in, in darkness and blindness, uh, people that are just going about their lives uh, happy but lost and, and uh, living lives apart from you, which is hard to, um, hard to imagine, Lord. We pray for... Uh, first of all, for the hearts of those that are living in this people group and in this country, Lord, that you would open the eyes of their hearts, that you would give them dreams, that you would give them visions, that you would stir in them a burden and, and anxiety even and eagerness to know something and someone particular, and that that would connect to workers who are sent to the far corners of the field to bring the good seed of the kingdom. I pray that it would find purchase pray that people would be drawn to you for your glory. We pray for those, those workers who are already there and are in some cases are stateside and being refitted and re, refilled, uh, who are working for support and things like that. Lord, we just pray that you would bless their time here. Uh, we're lots to put in front of you this morning. Thankful that, that you can handle lots. And um, we too just want to ask that you would bless this time that we spend together in these next few minutes in your word. And trusting this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> country music is easy to pick on. I'm uh, not a big country music fan, although I have been at different points in my life. I grew up listening to uh, country music. We had one record. We had two records. We had uh, Redheaded Stranger from Willie Nelson. We had Waylon and, and Willie and another one. And Merle Haggard, I guess we had three records that we listened to over and over and over again. So, I know all the words to at least three records worth of country music. And I went to school at Texas A&M, so you know we listen to a lot of country music there. Um, but you know, you know what's cool about music is when you look at lyrics, you can sort of get a window into what people think. 
and genre of country music at least gives us a window that's sort of sensible. We can make sense of it in some way. Uh, I thought about classic rock and that we might end up with Pinball Wizard or something crazy. It really, we can't make sense of that. I don't know what that's a window into, maybe the, the 70s. Uh, but this morning, we at least get a window into the mindset of the country and western folk and what their hope is in heaven. Here's the top 10 country songs about heaven, and they're going in reverse order. So here's number 10, If Heaven by Andy Griggs. Here's some lines from the song. If heaven was a town, it would be my town on a summer day in 1985. I grew up in Alexandria, Louisiana, and I appreciate where I grew up. It was a cool place to grow up, Um, but I hope heaven is not Alexandria, Louisiana in in 1985. (laughs) I mean, right? Okay. And, but that's not all he wants. He, he said, everything I wanted was out there waiting. Okay, that's his, this guy's view of heaven. And everyone I loved was still alive. Okay, you're going to hear that as a theme. Don't cry a tear for me now, baby. There comes a time we all must say goodbye. And if that's what heaven is made of, you know what? I ain't afraid to die. Okay, I have a different opinion about my hopes for heaven, but that's Andy's, Andy Griggs' hope for heaven. Here's number nine, outskirts of heaven. I'm not going to spend so much time with each of these, trust me, but the first couple are really are worth some time. The outskirts of heaven is, is number nine by Craig Campbell. This one's especially interesting. Craig Campbell wrote this song after reading a passage in the Bible describing heaven and realizing he wanted his heaven to be different. I mean, really, I'm, writing, I'm reading from the article that I, I pulled off, off the Internet. And it's got to be true because it's on the Internet. But here's, here's, what, here's what he says. Here's some things that come out of his, his song. He wants to have dirt roads for miles. Okay, that's one. He wants to have dogwood trees and honeybees. Okay, that's what he wants his heaven to be. Dirt roads for miles and dogwood trees and honeybees instead of what's promised in the Scripture. If you read the book, he says, and this is what he said. He said, if you read the book of Revelation, it tells you that there's golden streets and pearly gates in a very big city, which is not the environment I grew up in. I can't imagine myself living in any big city, heaven or not. So I'm excited to get to heaven, but I feel like what I describe in the outskirts of heaven is more my style. All right, it's funny, but it's sad too, you know, frankly. I like dirt roads and I like honeybees. Dogwood trees are cool too. They're beautiful when they bloom. But if that's heaven... Man, that's a bummer. Number eight, was a, it's a titled Streets of Heaven by Sherry Austin. Here's a line from it. She's, she's written the song to the seven-year-old daughter. Uh, I don't know if she wrote it, but this is a song that she sings to the seven-year-old daughter that passed away. So it's hugely sad, terribly sad. Here's a line from it. Who will hold her hand when she crosses the streets of heaven? And it fits the theme of the first guy, sort of, everyone I love is still alive. Number seven, Threaten Me With Heaven by Vince Gill. A line from the song reads, Threaten Me With Heaven, I'll Be Waiting On You. It's about reconcile or uh, um, relationships being, uh, family members, loved ones being brought back together. So it fits that same theme, Everyone I Love Is Still Alive. Number six by Mark Wills is Wish You Were Here. It's about a man who died in a plane crash. And here are a couple of lines. I wish you were here. Wish you could see this place. Wish you were near. I wish I could touch your face. The weather's nice. It's paradise. So still fitting that theme, everyone I love is still alive, and also kind of connecting to it's an environment that's beautiful with dirt roads and and honeybees and uh, everything that I want is out there waiting for me. Number five is by Colin Ray. I actually really like this song. The title of it is Love, Me, 
Some of y'all maybe know this song. Every time I hear it on the radio, I start singing it, and I think about Christy. It's sweet. The song, it's sweet. I probably sound like a goober singing it because I don't know all the lines. You know what you do when you don't know the lines. You just kind of, hmm, yeah. But the lines I know I belt out. But I'm not going to let you down, darling, wait and see. And between now and then, till I see you again, I'll be loving you, love me. It's a sweet, it's a pretty song. It's a pretty song. But it's fitting that same thing. Everyone that I love is still alive. Or at least we're back together. Okay. Number four. If Heaven Wasn't So Far Away by Justin Moore. If Heaven Wasn't So Far Away, I'd pack up the kids and go for the day, introduce them to their grandpa, watch them laugh all at the way he talks. So still that same theme of everyone I love is still alive, or at least we're back together. Okay, We've been separated from one another and we're back together. This one is an interesting one. Number three by Steve Werner, a Warner, is Holes in the Floor of Heaven. Here's some, some lines. Seasons come and seasons go. Nothing stays the same. I grew up, fell in love, met a girl who took my name. Year by year, we made a life in this sleepy little town. I thought we'd grow old together. Lord, I sure do miss her now. But there's holes in the floor of heaven, and her tears are pouring down. All right, that's just kind of weird. I'm sorry. I, some, if that's like your favorite song ever, I'm sorry. That's just kind of odd. I don't know what to even do with that. Holes in the floor of heaven, and she's up there crying. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. I mean, if heaven's just going to be a place where you're sitting around crying over those that you're not with anymore, then it doesn't sound that awesome. It sounds kind of sad. And it sounds like they need to do some construction up there to fix those holes. Everyone I love is still alive. See the same theme? Everyone I love is still alive. Here's number two, I Believe, by Diamond Rio. Here's just one line. Um, Our love can even reach across eternity. I believe, oh, I believe. Okay, it's about connecting. Uh, Everyone I love is still alive. And here's number one. When I Get Where I'm Going by Brad Paisley. I think Dolly Parton sings part of the song, too. I'm going to walk with my granddaddy. He'll match me step for step. I'll tell him how I missed him every minute since he left. Then I'll hug his neck. Same theme, a very similar theme. Everyone I love is still alive. So country folk are consistent, if anything. Man, I, and, again, I'm, not, this is, I'm kind of a country folk, too, kind of borderline. So I'm, I'm okay with saying that. Um, but country folk are thematic and consistent in what they're singing for and hoping for and looking forward to in heaven. More country life with, with dirty roads, honeybees, good weather, dogwoods, and, uh, and everything that I want out there waiting for me. That's probably not just country folk. That's probably everybody expecting heaven's just going to be where everything I hope for and want is just right here. And then everyone I love is still alive or being with loved ones, whether it's a daughter, a wife, or a husband, um, or grandpa, or granddaddy. So... I'm so thankful that we have God's word to turn to to see what Christian folks should hope for in heaven. We're not left with these songs. We can turn to God's word. So I'd like for you to turn, if you would. We're going to come. I don't know that we're going to spend a lot of time on those songs, probably no more time, really. We're just going to set it in contrast with God's word. Turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is a prayer of our Lord who's heaven bound. Okay, he's facing what we're talking about today. He's facing a short few weeks away, and you could say in some cases a short few hours away, depending on where you believe he went during that three-day period. But it's a prayer of our Lord praying for those sitting around him at the table. At this point, it's probably just the 11. Judas has probably left the table by this point. To kind of set it in context, which I think is important for us, these guys just had an argument at some point in this evening about who would be the greatest. 
Okay? That's like a couple of kids we heard arguing in the Redwood Forest over who was the tallest. No joke. We heard a couple of kids walking through the Redwoods arguing about who's going to be the greatest. They're sitting there with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Okay, so these guys have baggage. Okay, we're not talking about those guys. We're talking about God's people. God's people have baggage. If you stick around a church any period of time, you're going to get to a point where people have some history with one another. This table had history. Man, I think it's a very fitting place for us to go as our Lord is praying over this table of men who just argued about who would be the, the greatest. And that's only the, what's recorded. And who knows what else they'd gotten into with one another, the kind of stuff that they carried into this meal. Some of them may have felt like, I ain't sitting by James over there. He gets on my nerves. I'm going to sit over here by Phil because I like Phil. He's kind of ordinary. He doesn't get on my nerves like James does. And Peter, don't even think about getting near Peter. I can't even look at Peter. Man, I'm telling you, these guys had some history. And guess what Jesus does? He doesn't, like, I'm going to give you a bunch of counseling. I'm going to go and, and counsel you guys. He prays over them. Man, that's fitting. He's praying over these guys that I guarantee had some baggage and some history. And he's praying not only for them 2,000 years ago, but he's praying a living prayer that carries into 2019 in Greenville, Texas, as he's praying over Crosspoint Fellowship. Man, this is a living word with a living prayer, and it's good medicine for people that I believe are working at getting at the sweet cream of enjoying Christ. Man, that's what we're about, and that's what we ever want to be about. So let's look at John chapter 17. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and we're going to spend our morning in verse 24, just one verse. As I read, also I'm going to draw out five petitions, five requests that the Lord makes in this prayer. It's very difficult to tease out specifics, but for the most part, I think you'll be able to see these five requests as we go. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. That's the first petition of the prayer. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. You'll hear it develop more in verse 5. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Give me that pre-creation glory again. That's the first petition. He continues, I've manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, here's the second petition, keep them in your name, a prayer of protection. Keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. 
I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Here's the, the, the uh, second, more development of the second request. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And here comes the third petition. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And here comes the fourth petition. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. That's us he's praying for here 2,000 years ago. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. And here's the fifth petition where we are this morning. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. All right, the plan for the morning. I want to give you kind of an audio, audible map. It's helpful for me a lot of times as I'm trying to follow someone speaking that I have some idea where they're going. We're going to spend the next few minutes just unpacking the luggage in verse 24. Okay, so if you, if you, like, if you need a home base... That's it for the morning. There are a few other places that I'm going to ask you to turn. And if you're an audible, li- or uh, some people are visual listeners. I mean, they have to see the, the word, turn to that passage. If you're more audible and you, you, you can listen really, really well, then just listen. But I will give you those references. And I'll give you kind of a heads up what they are at this point. We're going to turn a few chapters earlier to John chapter 13 and 14. Okay, that's an easy one. It's just a few pages earlier. We're going to turn to Matthew 17 at one point in the morning. It would be pretty easy to find another gospel nearby. And then we're going to turn um, later on to uh, Exodus chapter chapter 33. Okay, so that's kind of the map for the morning. We're going to unpack the luggage in verse 24. And then we're going to climb all the way back to Exodus chapter 33. And we're going to see a story that illustrates the points that I think come out of this passage today. Okay, so let's get into the luggage. Luggage, just a few pieces at a time. First of all, I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to draw a few things out. Verse 24 again. Father, I desire, this is the fifth petition, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Okay, first of all, I desire. I pointed out the five petitions in the prayer to you. Okay, Of the five petitions, a couple of them mention the word ask. He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world but I ask that you keep them from the evil one. The ask is carried over and implied. He, he includes the word ask for at least two of these petitions. This is the only petition where he says specifically, this is my desire. Okay, and the Greek word, that also, the, the Greek word also means this is my will. This is my desire and my will. This particular petition that we're considering today is, seems to be a pretty strong particular 
request. I don't know that we can make the case for it being stronger than the others, but it is the last thing that he asks before he goes to the arrest and then the trials and the cross. And among the five, it is the one that he says, this is my desire, Holy Father. This is my will. So I I think we could read this last one that we're considering today in some ways as here. Let me read my last will and testament before I die. That's a unique opportunity. Usually that's read after we die. It's almost as if he's sitting at this table and saying, I want to read my last will and testament before I die so my people can hear my heart's desire, so they can hear what I'm asking of you, Father, in this audible request. They can hear those things within earshot. I think what's important is realizing at this pregnant moment in their lives, their world is about to be turned upside down. Three years ago, three years earlier at this point, they they left everything to follow him. They left boats, jobs, families, tax collecting booths to follow him. And it's looking like, man, it's looking like he's going to win. It looks like he's going to defeat the Roman Empire potentially and they're going to be an independent land again. And he's going to be the king that's established and inaugurated as the king. I mean, they're really excited about what's what's going on here. In this pregnant moment in their their lives where their world is about to be uh, turned upside down and completely unraveled, Jesus prays for them and he shares his will for them with the Father in earshot. Okay? So here's what he says. Here's my desire that they whom you've given me. Okay, before we even talk about what he's going to ask for, let's consider just for a moment that who the they whom you have given me actually are. We know for sure it's made up of those disciples who are sitting there at the table. We know for sure it's made up of a table full of disciples who just argued about who was going to be the greatest. We know for sure that it's made up of a table full of people who, um, or at least one of whom, is going to deny him only hours later after making a promise to him that I would die for you. He's going to deny him, actually, interestingly enough, three times, and one of them even to a maiden girl. I think it may have been twice. To a maiden girl, table full of winners. We're not talking a table full of heroes. We're talking a table full of men that are going to run like a bunch of chickens hours later when he's arrested. Have you ever seen a covey of quail? I mean, you ever jumped, walked up on a covey of quail? Most quail, bobwhite quail, they, they fly. Blue quail run. They're really hard to shoot because they run and they're like, woo, all over the place. I'm imagining the disciples running like a bunch of blue quail on the ground, half-dressed, some of them naked, because they left their clothes behind them. They were that scared. He's not praying for a table full of winners. He's praying for a table full of frail, feeble cats, wrought with weakness. He's praying for a table full of dudes with besetting sins and character flaws and things that they struggle with, real people just like us. I mean, can we read this story like it's not just something external and just something happened a long time ago where we can actually read it? This could be us. And in fact, given that this is a living prayer, it is us. His desire, his last desire, his last will and testament is that they whom you have given me, those they whom you have given me are made up of people who are frail and feeble and wrought with weakness and besetting sin, made up of people who couldn't earn his favor on our, on your best day. 
on their best day. Let's really connect to who he's talking about here. Those given him in ages past, those that we talked about a few, a few weeks ago, are really, frankly, a white elephant gift. You remember that picture I put up? I, this, this white elephant party that I went to is the ugliest gift in the history of mankind. I wanted at a white elephant gift party. And I'm thinking, man, this is the gift that the father gave the son? Wow, let's be really honest and let's be really serious. It's a motley crew. Wow, let's consider for a moment who he has his last will and testament for. Who are the beneficiaries of this last will and testament? And let's really be honest, it is a white elephant bunch. And ironically, this little bunch that he's talking about here that he's praying for, this white elephant bunch that I'm talking about, there's actually a name for that bunch. And that name is the church. I mean, I hope y'all can smile about that. I hope you can realize, oh, man, okay, there's a little relief in that. And realizing, whoo, okay. So all the, the, the issues of walking with the people and being part of a people and being a person, well, he died for you too. What he's about to do is for you too. He prayed over them and he's praying over you. Man, that's good news. That's, I think this passage is so timely for us as a people. This people, this people who disappoint, this people who are inconsistent, this people who don't act right. You ever heard anybody say that? Man, he just don't act right. He's just on my nerves right now. Well, that's who he died for because you don't act right either. <laughs> Man, this, he's praying over us. He's praying over them. People that get their feelings hurt, people who are proud and haughty, people who are stuck up, real people. He's praying over these people right here, and he's saying, these are my people, and these who are the beneficiaries of this good final will and testament. People who get their feelings hurt, people who are, uh, have all manner of issues. He desires something for this motley crew called the church. And I want to just ask, you, ask this question. Are you really listening? Are you eager to hear what that is? I mean, you can read ahead, but let's really grab what it is. And let's just ask the question. Let's see if he desires and wills. What he desires and wills would make the country music content. We can, we can already know that it doesn't because we looked at the least the top ten. And it's completely void of anything that has to do with the Lord. But let's see this, if it makes the list of things that we hope in. Let's see if what he wills and hopes for a Molly crew, the white elephant bunch called the church, is something that we hope in. And not just talking for heaven, but hope in now. Let's see if it makes the list. Our Lord has a desire, a last will and testament for you. Let that hit you just for a moment. He has a desire and a last will and testament for you. I, I want that to really connect to the issues that you go through in life. I want that to connect to the issues that might, like if you're thinking about a, a list of issues and things that you're struggling with right now, I want that to hit you right now. And I want you to imagine that someone notified you and said, hey, I just want to let you know that you are the beneficiary of a millionaire who passed away. He left you and wrote you into his will. Okay, even if you don't know what, the, what, what you're going to be blessed with, what, the, the, what you're going to inherit, you've got to know that you would expect you're going to treat that as good news. You know, let's say Tom gets that news during the week and he comes home to Sally and he walks in and he's like, hey, Sally, man, i got some good news for you, girl. I got written into a, a millionaire's will. Can you believe it? Like all the issues that they face, man, we've got an air conditioner on the blink, we've got a hole in the roof, our... We need some sod over there in the, in the corner of the back, backyard. Man, we got all this list of things to tend to, but we were written into a millionaire's will this week. 
That puts all those things in perspective, doesn't it? You're going to walk into work with a swagger, aren't you? You're going to walk into work and say, y'all may not know this, but I'm an heir of a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, so all those issues that you face at work, they sort of pale, right? They sort of level a little bit. These things that seem so massive, they become kind of small because you go, oh, I'm an heir of a millionaire. And he's leaving me something amazing. I want you to realize this is an occasion where we've been written into his will. His last will and testament is what he's sharing right here. And we're the beneficiaries. All right, man, I, I'm anxious to know what's in here. I want to know what, what he's getting at. What he, we're going to read the will and find out what, what the good news is. But here's, here's what he says. He says, I desire that they, this white elephant bunch called the church, may be, you ready for it? Here's, here's, here's the blessing. Here's, here's the big money, the big gift that he's going to give you as a millionaire. That they may be with me. Okay, you may be like, oh, okay, well, I was kind of thinking it was going to be like a bunch of money or it was going to be like eternal health and happiness. It was going to be the wind to my back and all things that I ever put my hand to. Um, but that's, that's nice that we may be with him. I want to spend a few minutes and explore that. I want to just consider that his desire for those, those people, this motley crew that's given to him, called the church, is that we may be with him. All right, turn to John chapter 13. Let's first of all get at what he's getting at. John chapter 13, <clears throat> look over in verse, uh, start in verse 33. We're going to look at a couple little passages here and on into chapter 14. Okay, Jesus is talking about, he's been, been, been uh, sort of hinting at, at this thing that's coming, this event that's coming, that's the, he knows what it is, this cross, and he's been hinting at it with his disciples, and they just are not really tracking. And in verse 33, he says, Little children, yet a little while that I'm with you, or a little while I'm with you, you will seek me, just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Okay, look down a few verses. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Simon Peter, the guy that you would expect to be the guy that asked the question, hey, Jesus, I got a question here. I'm not just going to sit here and just let you say that without asking a question. Lord, where are you going? You've been hinting at this thing forever. Where are you actually going that we can't come? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. You can't go there right now, Peter, but you will follow afterward. Look down in chapter 14. He continues the, the conversation, and it's, there's a break of a chapter there, but there's not, probably not a break in the moment. So in chapter 14, he picks up, let not your hearts be troubled. Peter, I can see the look on your face that I'm saying I'm going someplace that you can't go. I know you've left everything to follow me for the last three years, and now I'm telling that you can't follow me where I'm about to go. Let not your hearts be troubled trouble believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again to take you to myself that where I am you may be also it appears that as this last will and testament is read that the blessing that's given for those beneficiaries, that motley crew called the church, this white elephant gift called us, called that table full of people, is actually our presence, eventual presence 
with him. That actually is the good news. And listen, he continues. And somebody's like, well, how are we going to get there? And he says, and you know the way that I'm going. And Thomas, of course, it's going to be Thomas that says, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, this familiar passage, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So apparently he's not only the destination, he's actually the route and the means. I'm the way there and I'm the there. I'm the there, but I'm also the way that you get there. Man, what an awesome moment. And we see this guy over here in in chapter 20 where he's praying. I'm praying that these that you've given me will be with me. That's the carrot. He's asking the Father, this is my desire and my will, that those that you've given me, this motley crew, will be with me. Well, we've got to enjoy that. We've just got to consider for a minute what that means. Something that's sticking with me, though, something that sort of bothers me, and Greg brought this up last week, and I appreciated his comment about it. In John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying, he's asking these specific things of his Father. In John chapter 17, verse 15, he says this. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You remember when Greg was preaching this last week? He said, why not? Why not? Especially why not? Now that we see that his desire is that we'll be with him. I mean, is anybody else seeing the disconnect? Okay, Jesus, which is it? Do you want us to be with you or do you want us to be stuck in the world? Because you're not asking that, you can, that, I, that, that I'm pulled and drawn from the world. That's a significant dis- disconnect. It, it, it leaves this big pregnant question. Think of verse 26 that I read at the end of this prayer. Verse 26, the love with which you loved me may be in them. Don't you think it's interesting that he's speaking of a love that the Father had for him and a love that the Father had for him sent him into the world that hated him. But it gathered him up into his presence eventually. It was love that left him there but love that gathered him up at the right time in the fullness of time. There's this big, fat question that's sitting right in front of me. He's leaving them here, and he's leaving us here, while it's clearly he desires our eventual presence with him. What are you up to? Why not now? Why in the world would he leave this table of men to face beatings and imprisonment and martyrdom? Have you read what happened to the disciples? Why isn't he asking them to be drawn and taken out of the world right there if his desire is that they'd be with him anyway? And are you asking that question as you're walking through trials? Why are you letting me speak? Why am I stuck here? Why am I stuck in this mess? I read about this thing where you desire for me to be with you in your presence. You're the carrot. And yet here I am stuck. Man, why in the world would he leave us in a place that hated him? Why in the world would he leave us to struggle and strain and hurt and fear and hope? Why in the world would he leave us here and not just take us to be in his presence now if it's his desire? Why would we have to deal with all these difficulties? Why didn't once he finished his work, really, why didn't he just take those 11 with him? I mean, can we ask that question? If it's really his desire, okay, if this is really your desire, Why don't you just take us with you before the beatings, 
before the imprisonment, before the trials. And here's what just stood out to me, just slapped me in the face. And it just is so nicely connected to Greg's message last week. If he did, if he had taken those 11 out of that world that hated him and will eventually hate them because of the word that they bear, if he had done that, there would be no verse 20. Why don't you look at verse 20? There'd be no verse 20. And then, man, I hope this just, just overwhelms you. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may all also be one. If after his work, he said, okay, here's my desire, Father, my will, my last will, and my last desire is that they will be with me, if he'd just taken them right on up, just caught, just caught up with him in the, the moment where he ascends into heaven, man, there would be no you. There would be no product of their word and their work in those trials. There would be no product of their word and their work as they're beaten and imprisoned and martyred. There would be no message. There would be no Bible for us to walk in, minus an Old Testament. You realize that? So why is he leaving them in this world that hates them while he still desires that they would be with him? Because they have work to do. There's word to be shared and there's work to do. There are people yet to believe. So I hope you can connect this to you. God, why are you going to leave me in this mess? Why are you going to leave me in these circumstances that seem so frustrating and so difficult. Why are you going to leave me in these trials and these difficulties when you clearly, your desire is that, we, that, that I'll be with you? I, I believe you. You must have a purpose here. You're not just messing with me. There's actually supposed to be some yous that are a product of my word in ministry and some yous that are a product of your word in ministry. That's why you're here in this mess. Man, so then you can really be truly thankful in all things. You go, oh, now I get it. If I don't have some trials and some mess that I walk in because he's left me here for the moment, knowing all the while that his ultimate desire is that I'm going to be with him forever. Man, if I didn't have those trials and struggles and situations while he's leaving me in this world that hates him, there's going to be no product of my work. So connect the dots on the messes that you're in. Connect the dots on the fact that he hasn't just beamed you out of those messes. And drawn you up into his glorious presence just yet. Because there's word to do. There's work to do. There's word to share. There are yous that haven't believed yet. Paul was in Corinth. And he was facing some struggles in his ministry. Corinth, uh, it was early on in his ministry apparently. He uh, was still trying to reach the Jews. If you know Paul's story, you know that makes sense. This guy went to like the Harvard of Judaism. He studied under a guy named Gamaliel. This guy was a stud in Judaism. I mean, if you're thinking, okay, well, the Jews need to hear the message, who better to send them than Paul? So Paul goes ministering, reaching out to the Jews. And, man, he hit a brick wall. He wasn't connecting with them. And he got so frustrated in Corinth, he's just like, man, I'm just done. He said, okay, I'm going to wash my hands of the Jews, and I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So then he went to the house of a guy, uh, of, of a guy named Titius. I call him Titius Whiteus, but his actual name is Titius Justus. That's just how it makes me laugh. You wore tidy whities Y'all don't think that's funny? I think that's really funny. He goes to the house of Titius Justice that's right next to the synagogue. And ironically, about the time that he says, okay, I'm just going to move on and reach the Gentiles, the ruler of the synagogue believes, 
And that night, Paul has a vision, and the Lord appears to him. And in the vision, he says, I want you to press on in Corinth. And you know why I want you to press on in Corinth? Because I have a lot of people here. People that haven't heard me yet. They're going to hear of me. Those who have been given to me by my Father, they're going to hear of me through your word and your work and your pressing on in your mess, in your struggles, in your difficulties, in your imprisonments, in your beatings, in your enslavement, in your shipwrecks. I mean, Paul had a list. Wow, man, okay, that just sheds a whole new light on this picture of his desire. I I get it. I see that he has a desire that we join him ultimately But it makes me realize and appreciate the key word is there, eventually. Eventually. And between now and then, he's got purpose to why we're here. Okay. So let's get back at this will. We're reading this will and testament. We're going to draw out this last thing, this point. Okay. He desires that they, this white elephant gift given to him by the Father, that he cherishes. He doesn't consider a white elephant. I think that's important. We're really honest with one another. We know, oh, we're kind of a... Kind of a, a motley crew. He says, no, nah, these are my people. Okay, he says, I desire that they may be with me, but there's a purpose in there. There's a word in the Greek is called henna. The, the, the word in Greek is henna, and it means in order that, for the purpose of. It's embedded and sort of hidden in this passage because it's just hidden by the word to. And I want you to see it. I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to. You could put in there, in order to, for the purpose of, to see my glory. Okay, I want them, this, those that have been given me, to be with me in order to see my glory. The first sermon in this series was on his glory. And the first sermon in this series, some of the things that we drew out about glory, is that glory is God's ways, his goodness, his uh, mercy, his grace. You know, some of the things that we think of are his splendor, his majesty, those are fitting, his brilliance. But we can add some specifics, his ways, his goodness, his mercy. He wants us to see those things. And he wants these things to, to be experienced like they were before the world was created. Now, let me develop that for a minute. I want those whom you... I want to drink some of this first. I open it up for a purpose. I want these whom you've given me, or who you've given me, to be with me in order to see the glory that I had before the world was created. That is hugely important. That's the carrot, okay? So I'm telling you the carrot just so you be really attentive in the next couple minutes. Okay, look at 17.5, chapter 17, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Father, I'm asking you, my first petition is, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Okay, so this is the kind of glory that he's asking for, and specifically that, he's, that we would be with him to see this pre-creation glory. It's even hinted at at the, at the passage of the love that he speaks of. To see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. See, he's speaking back to ages past. And he's speaking about a glory, a pre-creation glory that he's asking that those who have been given to him will experience. I want you to imagine a heavenly uh, laboratory. This isn't sacrilegious. 
it might just be um, kind of weird. I, I don't think it's sacrilegious. Um, to try and take created things, to try and make sense of what happened, what happened in heaven. But just think about this for a moment. I want you to imagine a laboratory, a heavenly laboratory, one in heaven, okay? You got white coats, and they're like really white because they're in heaven. I mean, you can't even look at them. They're so white. Pocket protectors. You got scientists, you know, pocket protectors. Lots of pins, lots of gauges, forceps or something, you know, all kind of stuff, you know, here. Um, um, they got papers and they got clipboards. Sharp pencils, mechanical pencils, you know. You got lots of stainless steel everywhere, right? <laughs> you got lots of glass, too, big glass pan- panes where you can look in and see what's going on there. Okay, and Jesus is in there. No, let's, let's not even say Jesus because Jesus hadn't happened yet. Let's say God the Son is in there because Jesus speaks of the incarnate Son. Okay, not a different person, but just not yet. Okay, God the Son is in this laboratory. Okay, God the Son is in this laboratory, and uh, we got to prepare him for earth. we got to make it safe for him to be incarnate. Not safe for him, but safe for earth. Okay, so he's in this lab. I'm just envisioning this lab where they're like, okay, he's got a glory meter attached to him. We got him hooked up to a glory meter, and, you know, I, I don't know what the units of measure would be on a glory meter, like lumens or something, you know. Maybe, maybe just awesomeness. That's, that's the units of measure, awesomeness. Okay. We've got this glory meter attached to him. And like, okay, um, the Holy Spirit is going gonna, is gonna to descend on Mary, and she's going to be with child, but we've got to make God the Son ready for earth, mankind. We've got to make him ready for this, this showing up. This, so we've got this glory meter attached to him. So they, they dial it down, and they take a look at the gauge. You know, they peer in at this gauge and say, okay, all right, it looks like the earth will survive, but it looks like the Roman Empire would, wouldn't make it because of his splendor and his glory and his brilliance and his magnificence and his greatness and his godness, that it, it would, his white-hot holiness, that it, would just, it wouldn't, wouldn't survive. So we need to dial it down some more. So we say, okay, they get back to the dial and this big dial, they dial it down some more, and they look at it again. They peer in. They say, okay, his glory is good for the Roman Empire, but it looks like uh, Israel's not going to make it. So we've got to dial it down some more and say, okay, it looks like Judea uh, is going to make it. So they dial it down some more, so then it looks like Bethlehem will ultimately make it. But then they're like, you know, we need to dial it down just a smidge so that he can actually be contained in a manger, in a stable, and that it won't just blow up. Because of his holiness and his glory. The scientists turn to each other like angel scientists, I guess they are, like, now they'll now they'll survive. Because his glory's been dialed down to where they won't blow up. He's ready. Holy Spirit, you can go visit Mary now. Philippians chapter two says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
here's the point of this petition, and here's what's so great about it. He's asking that we would be with him so that, remember that, in order that, for the purpose of, that we could see him in all his glory. All of it, before creation even existed. Man, that gives me goosebumps. Anybody else? Now I get why that's the cream. Now I get why that's the goods. Okay, that makes some sense. He's asking that we would be with him so that we could see him in all his glory as he was before he joined humankind just so we didn't blow up. Mm, that, I, that's something I can see and get my hands around. Man, I just want you to think about this for a minute. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this in the Incarnation. I want you to realize that God the Son was contained in space and time. Can you just let that hit you for a moment? God the Son was contained in this thing that we call creation. He was contained spatially as he took on flesh. He was contained in the shape of a little wee baby. There wasn't just a shape. It actually was a wee baby. Man, something had to be dialed back for that to happen. We're talking about God. He had to be contained chronologically. 33-something years, something like that. He had to be contained in space as he's at the synagogue teaching and speaking. He's not everywhere else. But he's God. Man, something had to be dialed back. Something had to happen for him to be dialed back to be a wee baby in Bethlehem and then a boy. And then God the Son, all-knowing, dialed down to not even knowing the hour of his return. This God the Son submitted to being contained by letters and words in sermons. Think about that for a minute. To being contained, at least for a moment, to creatures. Words and letters are creatures. As he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters long, can you think about how hard it must have been for God to be contained in three chapters? You mean you want my sermon to only be three chapters long? I'm God. How's that possible? How could it only be three chapters long? Because three chapters can't contain the wisdom and fairly represent the wisdom of God. Three books can't. Three series can't. Three libraries can't represent the glory of God. He had to be dialed back for it to even be something we could even make sense of. Man, so they dialed him back and they sent him to earth. And man, I, I think the beauty, the carrot of what he's praying for here for us is that we're going to get to see what it was like beforehand, before it was contained. We couldn't even take it in right now. He sent us someone and something that could be contained. I was thinking about this, the, uh, the, the transfiguration. I told you Matthew chapter 17 was a passage I wanted to look at briefly. I think the transfiguration is a beautiful window into the brilliance and splendor and glory and majesty, this thing, this pre-creation glory that we're going to get to experience. And it fits right perfectly in time because Peter has just confessed Jesus as Christ. He says, I'm going to I'm going to build my church on, your, on you, on your confession, or on me. The church has been arguing about the, the object of that for 2,000 years. Okay, but we can say the church was born. Peter, James, and John at the very least. And then Peter, James, and John in chapter 17 of Matthew, they're led off. Jesus leads them off, this 
little tiny micro church, and he shows them a little window into the glory that they would be, that we would be able to experience for eternity. And here's what happened. It says he's transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And you just want to say, shut up, Peter, just take in this moment. And he's still speaking when he's interrupted by God. And a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I think this transfiguration moment is so special because it gives us a glimpse into the unbelievable glory that we're going to experience for eternity. And it left these guys on their faces terrified. They couldn't even take it at that time. A fallen man can't see him in all his glory. But here's the great news of this last one. God said, okay, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. He said, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I, your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? We're not distinct in that everything's going our way. It's not distinct in that all of our marriages are just awesome and easy, that all of our jobs are great and our health is perfect and everything's just going our way. Go be a Christian because the wind's to your back. Baloney! Go be a Christian for one reason, because God is among us. Man, that's the carrot. Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Now, here's the question I'll leave with y'all. Are you okay with everything going your way, but could do with or without Christ? What are you hoping in? J.C. Ryle is a late Anglican bishop, and he has a quote. I had this quote on Facebook for a long time on my Facebook feed, and I realized Facebook's not... My life has been totally transformed as I believe something that I did not see before, said no one ever in, re- in regards to reading something on Facebook. So I took it off. I, I want to contextualize what I'm about to, if I'm going to quote somebody. And, and I've contextualized, the word has contextualized what this guy's about to say. Listen to what he says. He says, alas, how little fit for heaven are many who talk of going to heaven when they die. While they manifestly have no saving faith and no real acquaintance with Christ. You give Christ no honor here. You have no communion with him. You do not love him. Alas, what could you even do in heaven? It would be no place for you. Its joys would be no joys for you. Its happiness would be a happiness into which you could not enter. Its employments would be a weariness and a burden to your heart. Oh, repent and change before it be too late. Let's pray. God, I pray with our Lord and Savior that we would be with him forever. And I pray with our Lord and Savior that this would be the carrot for us, that this would drive us, that we would pitch a fit on Walmart's floor. If for any reason and in any way 
there was a potential for you to, part, to depart from us. And Lord, in the same breath, we celebrate that, that is no, there's no potential for that. God, I pray that this, this little window into the, the prayer of our Lord and Savior on the eve of his rest, as he reads his last will and testament, will be something that will bring an encouragement to us of what we should hope for what we should pine for, what we should live for, what we should hold on to when we're going through the stress and struggle of life. Or we are thankful that Christ is both the carrot and the way, that he's the destination and the means. We enjoy him so much and love him so much. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're going to have our supper. I want to share just a brief passage with you from Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in Matthew uh, soon, in just a few weeks, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, going back to the Sermon on the Mount. This three-chapter-long sermon, the longest sermon from our Lord in the Scripture. Um, man, hard to imagine how, how the, the greatness and the fullness and the wisdom of God could be contained in three chapters. That should tell you these three chapters are pretty awesome. We're going to climb into them. This is drawn from this three chapters. Uh, in verse 21, it says this. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Let me give you an encouragement in this supper today. We have a, this the supper is a very real and regular form of worship for us. It is a very regular form of an offering in some ways. We're participating in a worship offering. We're eating with our Lord. Okay, so I, I want you to view what he's teaching there and something that you can actually walk out. If you or your brother has something against you, now you may not know if somebody's upset with you for some reason, but hopefully you are approachable and you're inviting that. Maybe you have a sense of, hey, have I hurt you in some way that I can, can ask for forgiveness? Or maybe you have actually been hurt. And you're saying, nah, man, there's no way it's worth broaching this with them because it's just going to make it worse. Um, it's probably not going to help. It's going to be hard. It's going to be awkward. Well, you're just guaranteeing that it's not going to change. Okay, but the charge is here, if you're going to bring an offering to the Lord, First, go be reconciled with your brother or do the best you can to make peace with everyone and then come back and have your offering. I want to connect that to the supper this morning. If you have something against a brother or if you have some issue between another brother and you're about to take the supper, let me encourage you to forego the supper just this morning, but to have an urgency about going to that brother or sister um, today, this week. And asking for their forgiveness or asking, hey, is everything okay? And doing the best you can to work at peace. And then come run to the supper next week. Ideally, both of you. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's the way this is supposed to work, this thing called worship. Let me encourage you to do that this morning. We'll distribute the elements and pray through our time together. And we'll take and eat.